Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Lawson. I am teaching pastor here uh, at Redeemer. Uh, and as uh, you just saw, we are at the end of our sermon series through the book of 1 Peter. It's been several months that we've been in this book. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, a great joy to, to be able to finish it today. And, and I think that Peter leaves us with, uh, with plenty to think about. Uh, my wife and I sometimes talk to our children about Satan. Um, how he how he lies to us, how he deceives us. Caroline is my wife is especially good at it, which I love because she's training the kids in the truth, you know. Um, and and one one uh, one night, this was several years ago now. Uh, we've been struggling we've been struggling with kids getting out of bed after we've put them in bed. I know no other parents struggle with that, uh, but um, and we used to, but not anymore, right? <laughs> That's not true. Um, we, uh, but we, we were, we've been struggling with that. And, and um, so I, I was putting Eliza to bed and I was about to turn off the light and I was just talking to her through it. You know, hey, when I close the door, Satan is going to whisper in your ear. And he's going to say, Eliza, you should disobey your dad. You should get out of bed. You should get out of bed and go out. That, that, that would make you happy. You'll be happier if you disobey. I said, what are you going to say when Satan whispers that in your ear? She thought about it. He said, I'll just say, no ma'am, Satan. <laughs> I was like, that's right. You mock him to his face. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I, I do wonder about us. I wonder, if we, I wonder if we really believe in Satan. Uh, should we even believe in Satan? I think a lot of people would say, you know, that, that's, you know, pre-modern superstition. Haven't we moved past, you know, believing in uh, in a devil and Satan, uh, but but even secular people, I think, acknowledge uh, the unseen forces of evil in the world. Um, Stephen Pressfield, who's an author, and uh, in, in not a, as far as I know, not a Christian, uh, in, in his book *The War of Art*, he talks about a force that he calls resistance, capital R, resistance. Um, it's a book about how how to do meaningful work in the world, uh, and. And this resistance is the force that pushes back against you every time you try to sit down and do what you know you should do. He says it's the force behind procrastination, right? Can all my college students say amen? I feel it. Uh, have you ever wondered why, why it's, uh, it's just the hardest thing in the world to do what you know you should do sometimes, even if it's the most simple thing? It's like, I have to do this one task at work. I have the time for it. I have everything I need. But I get through the whole afternoon and I haven't done it, Right? Um, so, so even, even Pressfield, who, who you know, probably would say he doesn't believe in Satan, identifies and even personifies this force that seems to oppose the good, right? And, and this book is widely read and widely respected. It's a, becoming a classic uh, among professionals in, in many fields because it resonates with people, right? People, people feel the resistance, um, and, and I think as Christians, you can even feel this. Like, I, I think one of the clearest ways to feel Satan's uh, oppression, Satan attack, is to try to, sp- to try to pray with your spouse. I promise you, you go home just after lunch. Y'all just make a plan. We're going to pray after lunch for five minutes. And then tell me that you don't come up with a million excuses about why that's not a good idea. <laughs> why is it so hard? Right? Uh, and, and so maybe there's more going on yeah, than just natural forces. Maybe uh, maybe the resistance we feel, maybe the evil in the world uh, cannot can just be accounted for by natural forces and by human, uh, you know, human uh, 
will, perhaps the Bible can explain something uh, that everyone experiences. And so we're talking today about spiritual warfare, about spiritual warfare. Uh, We're going to ask three questions. One, who is Satan? Two, how do we resist him? And three, what hope do we have against him? Who's Satan? How do we resist him? And what hope do we have against him? Let's pray once more as we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that you, are, uh, that you tell us what we need to know, and you teach us what we need to know, and you tell us the truth. Um, I just ask that you would open our eyes, uh, that you would open our hearts to whatever your word has to say to us, whatever you, by your spirit, want to teach us and want to challenge us in today. Um, I pray that, that Satan and his, his minions would have no power over, uh, over this, th- these people, over anyone listening to this, um, that he would not be able uh, to, to, uh, to deceive or to, to um, lie to anyone here as we are listening, but that, uh, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First, who's Satan? Who's Satan? Uh, well, Peter says uh, in verse 8, he is our adversary. Our adversary, the devil. Uh, in pop culture, the devil, I think, is, is God's adversary, right? There's good and evil, light and dark, God and Satan. Uh, but, but the Bible doesn't talk about Satan that way, right? Satan is not God's adversary. Uh, God is not threatened by Satan. Um, Satan is our adversary, right? That's what it says. He, he's our adversary. Um, Satan, for instance, you know, in, in the book of Job, he comes to God, and he has to ask God's permission to do anything to Job, right? In Jesus' ministry... Uh, when he goes to cast out demons, th- there's never a fight, right? The demon's not like, I'm not coming out of it. No, no. it's like, please, please just don't, just don't sit. I'll go in the pig. Can you just send me in the pigs? And so, the, the, uh, you know, Satan is, is not a, an adversary to God on an equal playing field of any kind. Um, but he is our adversary. Uh, Satan is a, is a fallen angel, right? We only get kind of shadowy glimpses of his story in, uh, in the, the prophets, but it seems that out of pride, he and a host of angels fell uh, and were thrown out of heaven and, and became what we now call demons. In Ephesians 6, uh, it, it says, to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Uh, Satan is the, the adversary behind our adversaries. It, it, right, the forces of power uh, and of evil that inspire and promote darkness, deceit, and death everywhere. And we can see his work and his effects in all, at all levels of society, of culture, uh, of, in families, even, even personally. So uh, Satan is our adversary. Second, he's, he's our accuser. He's an accuser and a liar. The word for the devil, the diablos, uh, it means uh, slanderer or, or accuser. We, we see him lie right in the very first chapters of Genesis with the Eve, right? You will not surely die. We see him plant seeds of doubt in, in Eve's heart, right, about the goodness of God. Did God really say you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or even touch it? Revelation 12.10 calls Satan an accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day. Satan, Satan hates God, right? But he can't attack God. He can't get at God in any way except by attacking people who God loves. So that's why he hates us. 
your adversary, it says in verse 8, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Have you been to the zoo and seen the lions? Have you, have you at least watched, you know, Planet Earth or something and seen the lions uh, on there? Um, lions are, they're ferocious. They're terrifying. Like, I don't know that Peter could have used a more terrifying uh, analogy. I don't know if you've ever heard one roar before. We, uh, we went to the, we go to the Houston Zoo, and the lions there are usually sleeping, which isn't helpful for this illustration. Uh, but the, uh, the tiger, I've heard the tiger roar, and I imagine they're similar. And it's this, like, it's, it's a deeply, like, resonant, blood-chilling noise, if you've ever hear, heard them roar. It's quite amazing. Um, and so Peter's using this striking image to describe our adversary. I think so we won't take him lightly. Right? And, and I, just, I just wonder if we believe him. Like, do you believe him? Do you believe that your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion in this room, seeking someone in this church to devour? C.S. Lewis is someone uh, who took Satan and demons very seriously. Uh, He wrote, uh, of course, a a teacher at Oxford and an author. Uh, He he wrote uh, The Screwtape Letters, which is a brilliant uh, work of imagination and theology where Lewis explores how demons might work to kill and steal and destroy. Uh, But in that book, he says there are two errors we tend to fall into about Satan and about the demonic. And he says, one, we can, on one hand, we can obsess over them, right? We can attribute everything to their work. And and second, we can, uh, on the contrary, we can completely forget about and ignore them. And he says the demons don't really care which of those errors we fall into. Like, they're just as happy with a magician as a materialist. That's what he says. So, and I think that's right. Like, Satan does his best work when he's feared and obsessed over like by the magician or when he's ignored and lo- overlooked by the materialist. Many traditional cultures, I think, are much more apt to the first error, right, to be scared of witches and spirits and demons. Uh, but but it, it's pretty clear that our culture, I think, is prone to the opposite error, to completely overlook the demonic. And, and we, I just don't think we can do that, right, unless we want to be devoured, right? We, we, we need to take God's word in this teaching about the demonic with all seriousness, not attributing everything to demonic attack. Like, you'll see that every now and then, you know, I got a flat tire on the way to work. Demons, Right? Maybe, or maybe it's just a nail. Uh, but, but, but so we don't want to do, we don't want to overdo it, but we, we want to acknowledge the real role demonic attack plays in our lives and in our world. So uh, this is who Satan is, right? This is who Satan is, our adversary, a, a liar and accuser. Um, how do we resist him? How do we resist him? Uh, Peter says uh, in, in verse eight, be sober-minded and alert. Be sober-minded and alert. Uh, If there was a real lion walking around in here roaring, you would be sober-minded and alert, right? Like, you wouldn't be falling asleep like you are currently, you know? I'm not calling anyone out in particular. I'm not looking at any. I'm just kidding. Uh, Right? Like, that would keep you uh, awake. And we need to be alert. We need to be watching out for our adversary's attacks, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says about the devil, we are not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his schemes. One of the ways to be sober-minded and alert to Satan is to know how he works. 
And, and because, again, I think we just don't, uh, we struggle to even remember we have an enemy, uh, I want to take a moment and share some of the ways that the devil works, okay? Um, th- this is from Richard Loveless, a seminary professor uh, at, uh, he taught at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, but he, he shared uh, five of Satan's characteristic strategies uh, in a book that he wrote called Dynamics of Spiritual Change. So these are the five that, that he says kind of, you know, a good, a good look at the ways that, that Satan works. The first one, first characteristic strategy of Satan is temptation, right? This is maybe the one we're most familiar with. Uh, you can think of Satan tempting Eve in the garden. You can think of Satan tempting uh, Jesus in the wilderness, we know that uh, Satan is always wanting to pull God's people away from everyone, away from God. So he obviously loves when we sin, and he loves to tempt us um, into sin and patterns of ungodliness. Second is deception. Deception. He, he's a liar, we've said. Uh, the the you know, demonic spirits are called the powers of darkness. Right? And I don't think that's because they like the nighttime or something. I think it's because they work, in the, they work to, to hide. They work to, in deceit to keep us in the dark. Uh, I think of uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 3 saying, talking about uh, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the, the light of the glory of, of the gospel. Um, you think of... Uh, think of uh, the parable of the soils, right? The, the, the seed goes out, the gospel goes out, the word is cast, and it falls in the path. And what happens when people don't understand the word? Satan comes and snatches up the word so that it doesn't bear fruit. Um, it, it, Satan also deceives, so he doesn't only deceive non-Christians, he also deceives Christians. Uh, James 3 says that jealousy, selfish ambition, and pride are demonic. He calls those demonic. Uh, Richard Loveless says this, Demonic agents are also particularly active in dividing Christians from one another into parties, subtly reinforcing stereotypes in the minds of believers who are not on guard against this, magnifying weaknesses and minimizing virtues to produce divisive caricatures. Unless this stratagem is correctly discerned, Christians can waste a great deal of time in buffeting one another in the dark instead of combining forces to face their common enemy. I'm sure nothing like that would ever happen to us, though. Satan loves it. He loves for us to be, uh, the, what is the call of God? To have one mind, one heart, one purpose, be united in spirit. And so what does Satan love? Divide, divide, divide. Three, accusation. He accuses uh, people before God, according to Revelation 12. And he also accuses us in our hearts. He loves he, he loves to kind of have his cake and eat it too. I don't know if you've experienced this. I know that you have. Uh, but uh, Satan, he loves, to, he loves to tempt to say and to hide all of the consequences of sin. You'll be happy if you do this. Right? This will be great. You, you'll, this, is, this will satisfy you. Um, and then when you sin, when you give in to that, what does he say? You are so horrible. You are unredeemable. God could never love you because look at what you did. Right? What is that? Accusation. He's accusing us. This is what he does. Number four, uh, possession. Possession. We see many examples of this in the Gospels and in Acts where Satan will take over someone's personality, will control them. Um, And five is physical attack, physical attack. And this seems to be more rare, uh, but there are examples in Scripture of demons causing illness, demons causing disease. I think of the the man who says that, you know, the demons throw my son in the fire and in the water. Uh, And so 
They can't, there can be physical uh, effects as well. So temptation, deception, accusation, possession, physical attack, these are all ways that Satan works. These are his strategies. These are his schemes that we need to be aware of. That this is our enemy. This is how he attacks. And, and some people really, really worry about at a point like this, attributing too much to the demonic, right? And I think that's a good, that's a good impulse. Um, you know, uh, Loveless points out in Purit- Puritan theology, for instance, really identified how sp- spiritual pathology is multifactorial, right? Um, like depression, for instance, they said can have physical factors, can have, it can have uh, psychological factors, moral factors, or demonic factors, right? So we're, we're complex beings, so it's never only one factor <laughs> that influences us. Um, there, there's always multiple factors at play. But, but we would be remiss, I think, to just ignore the demonic, to ignore what God says about demons and about Satan. And so we need to resist him. And to do that, we need to be sober-minded and be alert. Second, the second way to resist him is to be firm in the faith. Be firm in the faith. Uh, Peter just says this, resist him, firm in the faith, verse 9. Uh, also down in verse 12, he says, stand firm in the true grace of God. So to resist the devil, we, we don't have to, uh, you know, burn incense or, you know, have a crucifix or you know, do an exorcism. Like, I think some of us are, are, uh, are informed on our demons by horror movies. And that's just not a good information source, right? <laughs> uh, if you like horror, horror movies, I don't understand you. I, I hate them. I don't like being scared. Um, but, but, uh, but I think we, we kind of get, you know, get our, our information from a lot of different places. Uh, but it's important that we see this. It, it doesn't say we have to do anything actually really spectacular. It says we need to stand firm in our faith. We need to send roots down deep into our faith. Uh, if you don't know what faith is, if you don't know what our faith is, uh, faith is not a, a leap in the dark, like many people imagine it to be. Uh, just you know, uh, you, you don't you just guess and go with something. No, like that's not it. Um, it's simply trusting God, uh, trusting that He is who He revealed Himself to be in Jesus Christ. Right? Our faith always goes back to the person of Jesus. Uh, this is how Peter has even said in this book: Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. This is the good news. Right? This is uh, why Christians sing. This is why we have so much joy in our hearts, because Jesus loves us. Right? He died for our sins. He died in our place that he might bring us to God. He rose from the dead. He lives today. He, Peter says he's exalted. He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven with angels and powers and authorities being made subject to him. This is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And in Ephesians 6, uh, the passage about the armor of God, the shield of faith, it says, take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Right? All the flaming darts of the evil one. It's, it's trusting, it's being rooted in the good news that I'm forgiven and righteous in Christ. I'm accepted. That I am free from the power of sin. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it's standing in the true, that true grace of God that resists the devil and that renders his attacks powerless. And, and the amazing thing about that, I think, is, is to say that, man, the, the ordinary means of grace, the spiritual disciplines, right, the, these are spiritual warfare. What, what makes us stand firm in our faith? Man, being in God's word, 
studying the word, praying, right? worshiping with our, our family, right? taking communion together, right? confessing our sins to one another. Like These are the things that, that, that build our faith. These are the things that make us stand firm in our faith. And these are the things uh, that allow us to resist the power and the attacks of the evil one. And third, the third way to resist, um, Peter says, uh, look at it in in verse 9, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The same kind of suffering is being experienced by fellow believers everywhere. We we, we share in Christ's sufferings together, right, with Christians throughout the world and throughout the ages. And this helps us. This helps us. Like, you think what you're going through is unique? You think no one knows the, the trouble you've seen? Or for instance, in, in temptation, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the great verse on temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. It's not common to humanity. Right, so what temptation do you, has overtaken you? Fear, lust, Pride, an ethical dilemma at work, crippling self-doubt. You think you're alone in that? You, you think that, that no one else could understand you? You think, you think that no one else would, would understand if you, if you shared that with them? No, right? We all share those things. We all share the same struggles. We all share the, the same sins. Uh, we, we all share the same suffering. What, what do you suffer with? Depression, insomnia, anxiety. One of Satan's, I think, greatest lies is that you're all alone. Right? No one would understand. If you confess that, no one, no one would be able to relate to you. And it's just not true. It's a lie of Satan. We're all experiencing the same stuff. Like, and so what you should do, if, if that's you right now, if you have something, I couldn't share that with someone, I couldn't share that struggle, I couldn't share that sin, is tell somebody. Like, bring it out into the light. Tell your, your parents, tell your spouse, tell the person you came to church with, come find a pastor after church. Like, you need to walk in the light on these things because here's the truth, you are not alone. You are not alone. Right? We all experience the same things. And you don't have to walk in the darkness. That's where Satan wants you. So resist the devil by being sober-minded and alert, by standing firm in the faith, by knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by believers everywhere. Third, what hope do we have against him? What hope do we have against him, our enemy? Verse 10, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. The God of all grace, it says. Do you you experience God as that? You experience God as the God of all grace. Grace, it just means undeserved favor, right? Unmerited kindness. He's the God of undeserved kindness. And hasn't he been kind to you when you don't deserve it? 
This isn't the God that many people imagine, right? They think he's a far-off deity. He doesn't really care. He's not involved. Something they, they think he's, you know, just waiting to pounce on people who do wrong. Something like that. But, but notice what the Bible says about God. That he's the God of all grace. God, I don't know what you think of God right now. What do you think God thinks of you? Um, but from this verse, I would say that he wants to be kind to you today. He's the God of all grace. And he's, he's look at what he's done. He, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is the hope of a Christian. God has called us to glory in Christ. Right? By trusting in Jesus, we're united to him. We're, we're in Christ so that what Jesus gets, we get. What he deserves, we deserve. And of course, he gets glory, eternal glory, because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. And so we get that with him. We can think back to the very beginning of the book where, where Peter says God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into, a, into a, an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the glory that's coming for us. And look at what it says next. This God, the God of all grace, who's called you into his eternal glory, will himself, I love that word himself, restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. I don't think it's meaning that all of our suffering will be short here on earth. I think he's saying, in light of the glory we will experience, you'll look back on even a lifetime of suffering and go, I only suffered a little while. So what hope do we have against Satan, our, our enemy, the roaring lion seeking to devour us? <laughs> he can't touch us, right? He can't touch us in Christ. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities on the cross. God himself, it says, will restore, will establish, will strengthen, and will support you. What has Satan stolen from you? What has life broken? What has been defiled? God will restore. He will strengthen. He will establish. He will support. That's the promise. We are absolutely, eternally invincible against the devil and his schemes, and he knows it. He knows it. It's why I can preach, like, you think I would preach against Satan, about Satan? He's a roaring lion. Yeah, I'm not scared, right? We don't have to be scared. There's a great image in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that illustrates this. Uh, Christian, you know, the main character, he's on the path to the celestial city. And he comes, to a, he comes to a narrow place where there's, uh, he's get, going to this house called Beautiful. And, uh, and he comes to this narrow place in the path. And he, he sees up ahead two lions on either side of the path. And he gets scared, right? He, he, he thinks about going back, turning around, because he thinks, I can't get past them. Um, uh, but someone from the house sees him and calls out and says, don't be afraid. The lions are chained on either side of the path. If you stay in the middle, you'll come through unharmed. And so he plucks up his courage and he walks straight in the middle and he goes through and he makes it to the house unharmed. We have a real enemy who far exceeds us in cunning, in malice, 
and power and experience. He's much older and much smarter than we. He's a roaring lion who would devour us in a second. But brothers and sisters, he is chained. <laughs> He's chained, right? Uh, if we are faithless, right, if we, if we try to take on the devil and his schemes on our own, he will devour us on the spot. What hope do we have? Zero. <laughs> All right, but if we are faithful, if we stay with Jesus, who is, our, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we will walk through life ultimately unharmed, and we will make it to the country we've always longed for. And then what can we say besides what Peter says here? To him be dominion forever and ever. <laughs> right? He's so wonderful. He's so good. Let's, let's look at Peter's closing here. Um, verse 12. Through Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you, gre- you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all who are in Christ. Uh, Sylvanus was likely the person who delivered this letter uh, and, and who first read it and explained it to the churches. Often in, in New Testament letters, the, the, uh, the, the author kind of gives credibility to the person bringing the letter so that everyone will listen to them. Similar to how Paul does uh, in, in Romans 16 to Phoebe. Phoebe was the one uh, who brought the letter of, Rome, of Romans to Rome. Um, Peter, Peter calls, uh, calls Mark here. He says, Mark, my son. Uh, Mark was not his biological son, but was his son in the faith. Uh, and so uh, notice just the, the, the warmth, the familial language here, all right? Brothers and sisters, my son, right? Um, as Christians, we are family, right? We are family. So, and he says, greet one another with a kiss of love, which I don't think is a really COVID-friendly activity uh, to, to do. Um, but, but this is a pretty, actually a pretty common command in the Bible, right? In closings, greet one another with a holy kiss, greet one another with uh, a kiss of love, like it says here. And it's obviously one that we need to apply culturally. Like how, do, how do we do that? Um, when I lived overseas in Turkey, uh, the, the, one of the things that was interesting to get used to is that they, they did kiss like this to greet people and to say goodbye, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you would go in, and you don't actually kiss on the cheek. That's kind of awkward when you first do that. But you, you just kind of go to the side and make a little, ki- you know, both sides make a little kissing noise. Um, and, uh, and so that was, you know, that was interesting to get used to uh, as an American. But, but as an American, another thing that was really interesting to get used to uh, was, was uh, like you would be hanging out in a group, you know, of six people, say, and a seventh would come in. And the, the, that person would go to each person in the room and kiss, you know, kiss them all. Hello, how, you know, greet, greet everyone. And then they'd sit down and maybe they're there for five minutes and they would get up to leave. And what would they do? They would go around and kiss everyone again, right? Each person. Like, kissing all the way. And, you know, as an American, we're like, that is so inefficient. You know, like, why are you wasting all that time? Just give a wave, you know. Uh, but, but there's something about, you know, traditional culture, which, by the way, is much similar to the culture of the Bible, right, that the Bible was written in, uh, that, that is beautiful, and it's so relational, and it's certainly something that we, we miss here, <laughs> that we don't have, uh, that there's, there is a family closeness that that kind of greeting, uh, you know, provokes. And so I wonder what we can learn from that. Like, how are we demonstrating to other Christians every time we see them that, that, man, I see you 
I value you. You're my brother and sister. I love you. Like every time we see him. I don't know the answer to that, right? But, but we, we need, like, greet each other with a kiss of love. What does that mean? We need to do that. We, we need to value each other and, and uh, show each other that we value each other like that. And, and, I, and I do hope, uh, you know, coming out of COVID and this last year of just a lot of isolation, a lot of quarantining, um, that, man, I hope that, that the importance of Christian community is something that really lands on us. I hope that we go, man, I see now more than I did before. I need my church family. I need brothers and sisters in Christ. And not, not over Zoom, you know? Like, that's great, and it can, you know, that's a wonderful tool to have, but, man, there's something about being in person that matters, right? The, the incarnation wasn't Jesus on a Zoom call, you know? Like he actually came to, to earth. He became one of us. He made his dwelling with us. And we need, uh, we need each other, and we need our, our, uh, our church. And so, I hope we can, uh, we can love each other. I hope we can greet each other uh, with a kiss of love and work that out um, together. She who is in Babylon, um, Peter says, this is likely a faithful sister, right, in, in Rome, who the recipients would have known. Um, commentators all say that Peter actually isn't in Babylon, right? He's using this metaphorically. He's in Rome, and he's calling Rome Babylon, which is the place of exile, right? It's where a lot of the Jews were taken uh, into exile from their homelands in the Old Testament. And so this reference to Babylon circles back to the beginning of the letter, to the very first verse uh, of Peter that says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles. Our sermon series through First Peter um, has, been, has been called Hope for Exiles, and I hope it's been uh, a, a richly rewarding experience for you, as it has been for me. Uh, we've seen that this world is not our home, and because of our allegiance to King Jesus, we can ex- expect to face trials, we can expect to face suffering, we can expect to face persecution. But in it all and through it all, we can have joy. Because of Jesus. Right? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, now we're God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. Right? Th- though we don't see him, we love him. Though not seeing him now, we rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory as we receive the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And to him, to Jesus, be dominion forever and ever. May God give us grace in the land of our sojourning. And may we say no ma'am to Satan and his lies and the power of Christ. Let's pray as the band comes. Father, thank you so much uh, for, uh, for your word. Um, thank you for the good news uh, that, that we have been, um, we've been accepted in Christ. We've been freed from the power of sin, that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and that we have authority over evil forces. Um, that, that because of your great victory, that we have victory. Um, because of your uh, because of your sacrifice, because of your deliverance, we never have to be afraid. Would you help us not to, not to underestimate our enemy, um, but, to, but to 
believe and obey this word and to resist him. Um, I pray for our church that, that where Satan has sowed division in our church, where he has deceived people, where he has, um, where he has uh, sowed hatred even in people's hearts, um, where he is, is, is lying to people and telling people that they are alone in their sin, that you would break that, that bond in Jesus' name. Um, I pray that in Jesus' name, you would uh, help them to know the truth, to see that deception, to resist the devil. And we know that James 4, 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And I pray that the devil would flee from this church and that we would be a community of light, a community of love, a community of, of forgiveness and of openness and of acceptance, a place where sinners can find refuge. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.